Well, that was a convenient announcement. This is Kevin. I'm here with members of the chamber. I've got Craig Dahl here and Maggie McMillan and Wayne Jensen. Good morning to you all. Good morning, Craig. And, of course, if you've been listening to Problem Corner lately, Craig's voice might be a little familiar. Yeah, in fact, I just might just sit here the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, Craig, we got some news uh, today, and we wanted to know your reaction to the announcement by Norwegian Cruises that they'll donate that waterfront land in Juneau to Huna Totem. Well, I think um, when we woke up this morning to, uh, to the news, kind of surprised, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily a bad thing, just uh, certainly one of those things. We certainly had no reason to know it might be coming. Um, you know, what's interesting is Huna Totem, um, of course, uh, over this past many years has been developing Icy Strait Point uh, in Huna and has done an amazing job over there. And then this last, uh, this last edition over there was a joint project with NCL on a new dock and infrastructure and their, um, their gondolas and, and whatnot. And, of course, we had Mickey Richardson from Huna Totem speak last week at the Chamber about their other expansion um, down into Prince of Wales Island. So, I mean, it's kind of a natural a natural step, big step. Um, I did notice, I did read KINY News of the North this morning. Um, the donation comes with preferential um, docking privileges at, the, uh, at whatever they do build. And I, you know, I would just... I would expect uh, NCL to be deeply involved in whatever planning might be going on. Uh, Huna said they plan to build a pier on that property, so I believe that makes it now five docks, dock cruise docks in Juneau. Yeah, that would be that would be number five, and that's really in keeping with uh, when we had the uh, visitor industry task force, and we had a lot of discussion on, you know, you know how much more is more, how much what should be max. Um, I think the sense was that one more dock. Pretty much was it. I think when it was being discussed, there was some commitment, and I say that carefully, um, on NCL's part that they would only more there would only be one ship tied up to that to that pier. Um, there's some assumption that five ships at pier would eliminate um, anchorage in the middle of the harbor for a fifth or for a sixth large ship. Wouldn't prevent a small ship from 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 that, but. Um, I would say that's not necessarily ever been finalized, but I think that's the sense is that's it. That's pretty much, uh, you've got your capacity right there. Um, And of course, you know, recently you talked about uh, in the same same news breath, um, Gold Belt uh, developing the Seadrome, changing the Seadrome building around to to accommodate the small cruise ship, also a part of the waterfront development plan. So, you know, really, it, it's it's not really changed. You know, the ownership has changed, not necessarily the the intent of what happens down there. Yeah, some big things to look forward to in the future of our waterfront. It's going to change, uh, change a lot in the next uh, five or ten years, whatever it takes to develop those. Yeah, yeah and if, if folks are not aware of the property, we're talking about that parcel practically right in front of the Centennial Hall. And so the Seadrome building, that's just a walk down away from that property. Yeah, so. I think the only thing right now between the Seadrome and the NCL property is still the Coast Guard. Coast Guard Noah. Noah. Coast Guard yeah. Noah. And yeah. Fish and Game has a building in there too. But uh, yeah, that's, that's sort of the bottleneck to the waterfront plan. And so to sort of zoom out a little bit, uh, what reaction have you been hearing about this cre- cruise season? Any updates? Well, I think the reaction, um, and I'm going to go back to about a week ago, several of the business people commenting that they were at pre-pandemic levels 
for business activity. Now, that's measured against a couple of things. Some some of the merchants, at least one of the merchants I spoke with, um, felt like part of that is because some of the Shorexes have not been able to um, deliver capacity. Um, you know, whale watch boats are still still looking for crew. I mean, I think they feel like they're busy, but more people may have been retained downtown um, downtown shopping. Um, so I think this mid mid season into the fall, I think people are feeling really good about um, the volumes down there. Yeah, I, th- I think that you know the workforce shortage is hitting everyone, and it certainly hit the, the seasonal businesses probably the hardest. Uh, but I but I you know we hear more and more about the. Uh, the capacity of the cruise ships is increasing, getting up close to that, you know, 90% or whatever it is, uh, as opposed to starting out at, you know, 35, 50%. Uh, now it's getting back up to normal. Uh, and and you see your ships, uh, if you mentioned the anchoring out of the ships. Almost every day you see one, sometimes one of the very large ships uh, anchored out in the harbor. So it's, it's a busy season right now. So with about 90 percent capacity if only the workforce could also be at that same level that, you know there's one of the reasons why you don't see uh, eric and laura here today is they're working <laughs> yeah. so, yeah. so uh you know those are two uh, you know we could probably do a whole program on um what happened to the employees and it's yeah. it's not just a juno problem ours might have been accentuated by the fact that by stopping the cruise season in 20 um, and then last year was sort of a, we don't know maybe maybe we do maybe we don't have PBSAs other stuff yeah and so I mean people that might have otherwise migrated north to work the tourism industry didn't come because they didn't and, and things were starting to open up down south and so we've got a whole pattern we've lost almost a I don't want to say a generation but we've lost a whole group of people who got out of rhythm to come back to Alaska and you know hopefully that'll correct itself next year but but the fact is everyone across the country is complaining about work short, uh, labor shortage. And we also saw from that Southeast Business Survey that even if we do bring those workers back, there's the trouble of housing. So, <laughs> so where do we put them? Yep. Um, I know that uh, Brian Holst down at JADC, they're working on a short-term housing study. You know, we're trying to analyze, you know, where did the housing go? If uh, population's stable or maybe even down a little bit, uh, how come we don't have plenty of housing around? Um, Wayne deals with this a little bit on the other side through the Alaska Committee. We watch uh, how we were able to take care of our legislators and legislative staff when they come back to Juneau. And so it's a little bit of a a curiosity. Um, I know there's actually a conversation going on. um, I'm going to call it very informally and certainly no names involved, but there's a a pretty large company that works primarily up north that provides um, large-scale housing for the the, oil the drilling companies and uh, it's been suggested they come down here and look at the southeast market and see if there's any um any application of their assets that could help us through the tourist season is that right mm-hmm. huh and so because we already know with the uh with the legislative season we've got that new assembly building so that could hopefully help during the legislative season but you're you're talking specifically tourism i was thinking that would be specifically um, i mean even though people have we've just i'll call it anecdotally you know why can't we have a work camp parked out at in the middle of Oak Bay, mm-hmm. um, or tied up to a tied up to a dock somewhere that would have um, you know 100 150 um, small housing units kind of like a college dorm kind of like kind of like what they're doing but proposing doing down in Ketchikan with uh, the ferry that was uh, purchased next yes. to the Ward oh, Cove yeah. thing they're looking at that one possibility is workforce housing they're looking at doing it to a museum or you know something that 
would show the history of the of the ferry system, but I think it also was considered as a workforce housing. So that's a possibility. Do you have any updates on the city's housing development committee? Yeah, and actually, um, we're I'm very pleased we've we've had a very active group, and I, I will say we took we actually took two months off because it's the housing and development committee, and they're all out developing and oh. building. It's like you were <laughs> and, saying earlier, Wayne, they're out working. Yeah, no, they're, they're out working. Um, we've had a small core group that has continued to meet, and uh, we've been working with the CBJ officials. We actually have a workshop with them um, coming up in about two weeks. Um, to work, continue work of how can we move forward on corrections or changes to Title 49, which is kind of the governing body of, of um, building codes. And, and it's really a back and forth between what do we see could be fixed and then how can we fix it. And it's, it's kind of a circular discussion. Um, I think everybody's said he's in the same problem. They don't have enough employees to necessarily meet meet all of these but the title 49 is the land use code so it um, you know dictates the development of projects there's also the building code which is for construction of projects but they, they both come into play but the land use code is one that the development housing and development committee has focused on mo- mainly because that's what you know allows the, the construction and the development to go ahead so yeah, thank you, Wayne. And along with that is trying to also work just on procedure and process. Um, I think that, um, you know, on this side of the, of course, no one can see my hands waving, but on this side of the room, you have the, the builder and the developer uh, trying to find out how do I get my permit approved. And on the community development engineering side, you have the responsibility to keep things in line with code. And, and ordinances and we're trying to find the right way to speed that process up um, responsibility on the builders to bring in everything they need and and then an effort to make sure that community development and, and engineering can respond to that as quickly as possible I think you know we all can respect the the seasonal pressure here um, it's one thing to talk about a project in November December January but by the time you hit April Everybody gets really anxious because it's time to have materials on site. It's time to start your project. And by the time we're where we are right now, you can already look at your calendar and know that if I'm going to close a project up, I need to be pretty much wrapped up here in the next five weeks. Mm -hmm. So um, we feel that community development needs to try to pick up and, and work with that same rhythm. Right. And and also make sure nobody's bogged down in the process, right? Yeah. 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 And so. I, think, I think adjusting our codes to uh, mountain town... I think we've we've used up all of the flat lands, and so, you know, a lot of people have said, well, our, our codes are modeled after codes across the United States, not necessarily mountain cities. And, uh, uh, you know, sometimes we have to realize some of the things that work really well on flat lands don't apply to a 45-degree property. So um, that's different. And we have yeah, enough but, of the- but there's different risks involved, too. I mean, you got the landslides, which are talked about all over, and you've got... You know, traffic traffic that has to get up, emergency traffic that has to try to get up steep roads. So it's it's a it's a challenge. I mean, even what's going on in Skagway. Absolutely, big deal. Yeah, 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 Yeah. big deal in Skagway. And uh, I also was hoping you could provide an update on the on the uh, task force as well. Well, you know, the task force results were published uh, beginning of April. 
and they're now just becoming they're coming in front of the it's going to be a joint meeting of the planning commission and the assembly and they have a number of issues that they're going to bring up and discuss um and then one of those will be the task force recommendations and and you know probably i'm not sure if it was number one but if it wasn't number one it was number two was um the city needs to and you've heard this through their budget process um need to update their it uh, capacity and one of them is a, a permitting process permitting system that allows community development to track and and uh, know where the permits are in the process uh, so that's going to be on the 29th and um, we'll see what happens at, at that meeting very good and to take it a little bit outside of southeast i wanted to know if there was any thoughts on the willow project since public comments out on that right now yeah, well, actually, um, we had an opportunity to meet with representatives of ConocoPhillips. Uh, they, they met with our board of directors last week. Um, you know, one thing one thing that happens in Southeast is we are, uh, I know we're all one state, but we don't know and pay any attention to what happens on the North Slope. We enjoy the uh, permanent fund dividend. We enjoy the money that trickles down through the revenue streams, but we don't really pay attention to how many drilling rigs, uh, what companies are operating. And the Willow Project is huge. Um, it's gonna create uh, probably 3,000 construction jobs. And I think they're, they're talking about 300 permanent positions once it's in, in a uh, extraction mode. And, um, and for, as far as the state of Alaska is concerned, we're probably going to see between $1.2 and $5 billion of revenue uh, flowing into the state from that project. Um, and, uh, and I think the number, I think I've got this right, they're going to put about 180,000 barrels a day back into the pipeline. And, and that's huge to keep the pipeline up where it needs to be. Um, so there's a comment period out, which also ends on August 29th. Um, we're putting that link on our newsletter um, encouraging people there's some there's some places on that website where you can go and kind of sort of automatically uh, support the project um, chambers weighing in and a lot of our members so but again it's important to the state of alaska and, so and wayne was there something you wanted to add well i was just going to say that we we do take for granted we, a lot of people think well the pipeline's about done you know it, we it's we're at the end and you keep seeing it declining but i think the opportunities for additional development on North Slope are almost unlimited. I mean, there's a lots of opportunities, um, I think a little bit west of what we think of as Prudhoe Bay, and, uh, and, they, and they, there's the representatives of Congo, Conoco talked about that, that there's a um, great deal of, of opportunity left in that, up, in that uh, area of the state, and, and that just keeps uh, you know, filling the pipeline, so. So there's not just Prudhoe Bay up it's in that region. It's not just Prudhoe Bay. No, it's it's uh, the Willow Project and the Pika Project, and oh, there's a couple others of, that they t- talked about. When you uh, yeah. when you see the map, there's a yeah, set, there's and, several and, leases and, that are and under these, development. And these projects are like the size of Delaware. You know, it's, these are not small deals. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. So the and so BLM has a public comment period out on that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and I heard chamber seminars might be returning. Is that right? Yeah, Maggie's going to make sure that happens. Uh, we, uh, no, we. Uh, Thank goodness we have you here, Maggie. We, uh, uh, the chamber used to be, have a pretty good rhythm of putting on different seminars um, to help our members, and COVID stopped that just like it did a lot of things. So we're just coming back online. We're uh, working right now on. Um, a professional development slash human resource um, seminar, but we're going to probably going to wait till the cruise season's over. Let everybody take a deep breath. Um, we found out one other time that if we try to hold something in the middle of the summer, 
nobody comes. So uh-huh. <laughs> it'll also be a wintertime project. So Very good. Well, we're going to take a pre- brief break, and then we'll be right back. I've got Wayne Jensen, Greg Dahl, and Maggie McMillan here. Now, Maggie, we've been picking on Craig a little too much, so I want to bring you in. At the recent chamber luncheon, it was shared that the annual dinner is in the works. Are you the one working on it? Yes. Me and my events committee are working very hard to put on the first annual dinner that we've had since 2019 for the chamber. So, Well, that must be exciting. We're really excited. And the theme this year is one I'm very excited about. It's All That Glitters, a celebration of mining. And our main sponsors are Hecla Greens Creek and Core Kensington and Alaska Marine Lines. Um, It's a really good excuse to dust off your suits and your gowns and come celebrate our business community and um, the world-class mining that we have here in Juneau. Um, It's going to be a fun night. We're going to have drinks and dinner and dancing. Of course, there's also going to be a live auction and a silent auction, all with items that are donated from the local business community and chamber members. We're also going to have a couple of different raffles. Um, We're going to do like a wine slash home bar raffle. Um, And we're also going to do our normal, well, we're kicking off a raffle. It will happen in the next week or so. And it will end at the annual dinner. And those prizes are uh, Holland American Cruise, Alaskan Airlines tickets, and a real gold bar. So, and potentially some silver bars as well. Oh, so there's still some more planning. Yes, we're, we're... there's We're trying to decide just how big a gold bar we can afford. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have one of those that they used to pass out at Alaska Airlines. I think this yeah. little bitty ones. <laughs> I so did got a few re- of those. I thought a gold bar would be a big cool thing, cool and thing. Then, all that glitters. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I thought, yeah. and then I realized how how much money it costs for like an actual gold bar and then a gold (laughs) bar so we got some things going on there another really exciting thing that we do every year at our annual dinner is we announce our lifetime achievement award winner and our citizen of the year award winner and those are two awards that we've been giving out since 1977 and they honor residents here in Juneau for outstanding uh, service to our community if anyone Anyone that's a resident can be nominated for that. And anyone can nominate. They don't have to be chamber members. They just have to go to junochamber.com and download the form to nominate. And then they have to email them to me by September 5th they, if they want to be considered. I remember the last one was uh, Bruce Denton, right? Yeah, he got a Lifetime Achievement Award. And then Holly Johnson and Laura Martinson um, got a Citizen of the Year Award for their work with Protect Juno's Future. So... And that'll be, and that's how it usually was, right? Announced at the dinner. Yes, we've been yeah. doing it at luncheons the last two years because we just we we didn't have a dinner, so we're excited yeah. to get back into that rotation. Um, so we're we're just really happy to be able to host Juno's uh, form, formal affair of the season. Uh, well, Maggie, we've gone through everything, even the gold bar. But what about the date? That's where I'm getting to. So it's going to be at Centennial, Centennial Hall on October 8th. And there's a cocktail hour that starts at 530. Mm-hmm. And that is AML's con- uh, cocktail hour. Uh, our tickets aren't on sale yet. They should be by the end of the week. Individual tickets will go for $100 a person. You can get a table uh, that holds eight people for 850 Or you can get a, pre- a premium table, which includes cocktail service for 1050 and we're really hoping to sell out and see a bunch of faces in a room again because we haven't had an opportunity to see 300 plus people in one spot in a long time and we think it's going to be great a good opportunity to celebrate and to network and just to go out in Juneau which we all have 
wanted to do for so long now. As we call it, it's Juno's formal affair of the year. So we're looking forward to it. Very good. And it could be one of the last events in Centennial Hall as it goes into uh, renovations after that. So That's That's right. right. In fact, we didn't think we were going to have Centennial Hall. It was only for a slight delay in construction that we were able to get back in and and for us it's perfect we fit in there just nicely and uh, really looking forward to it well great you guys now craig i kind of like to end these programs on just what to look forward to so what do we have to look forward to for the lunch well for this week we're going to hear from wade bryson and wade's going to come out and talk about the new city hall and uh, he's probably going to give some reasons why why it's a good thing um we're also going to, uh, following that, we're going to have Beth McKibben, who's senior planner for the city and borough of Juneau. And right now, Beth has out there on the website uh, the uh, Blueprint Blueprint Juno, downtown Juneau. And um, it's going to be out till September 12th for public comment. Really encourage people to go to the CBJ website slash community development. It's a long report. The report itself is 418 pages long. And... Uh, um, I would suggest a lot of coffee and uh, use it on your screen. A lot too, too much to print out. It's a very good plan. A lot of work. They've been working on it since April of 2018. So um, big deal. The following week, we're having an Ironman program. Uh, Liz Perry at Travel Juno. And then uh, we're actually having a panel of local competitors. They're going to tell us what it was like to race. Um, we're going to actually hear from Jeff Rogers, who was a participant in the race. He's also going to tell us the financial impact that having Iron Man in town had on the city. So should be a great program. And what well, to look forward to for the next two years, because that's it's right. under contract for another that's two right. years. Yeah. yeah. Well. And now that we all know how to look at the race and follow the race, <laughs> I'll, I'll get a more comfortable chair down along the highway. So. How better can we cover it? That's right. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks, you guys. Uh, looks like we got a full luncheon plate on us for this month and for the next couple programs. So thank you for being here today. Good. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, thanks Kevin. And again, that's the program. Thank you for listening. I've got Docks and Harbors up tomorrow, so be sure to tune in. Thank you.